The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn, episode 10. Yes, uh, we have uh, reached the uh, double digits. I certainly hope you've been enjoying the podcast. Uh, it's been fun being here at Podcast One. Uh, if so, though, if you could kindly head over to iTunes and uh, leave a five-star review, that would be greatly, uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you. Now, this episode, totally jam-packed. Part one, we have uh, former That Metal Show host and comedian Don Jameson. We talk about his new album out via Metal Blade Records called Communication Breakdown. We also discuss whether or not uh, that metal show will be back. And, of course, a few jokes uh, here and there in between. And then on the second part of the episode, we have got two shorter hit-and-run interviews. First, we have singer-keyboardist Greg Raleigh of Journey Santana fame, who discusses his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. Yes, Inductions, with an S, plural. He has been inducted with both Journey and Santana, which is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Though, um, I have to say, uh, when will we see Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Bon Jovi and Whitesnake and all those bands uh, inducted? Uh, So uh, let's get to uh, inducting some people for the first time while we're doing stuff. Uh, Anyway, we talk about that. We talk about new music. And at the end... We finish off with Procol Harem's Gary Brooker. Of course, the band is best known for their ubiquitous hit, A Whiter Shade of Pale. So we talk about that. And the band has a new album in 2017 called Novum. So we cover all the bases. We've got your comedians. We've got your classic rock. We've got your modern rock. We've got everything. But why stop there? We've also got your On This Day and This Day in Metal feature with Metalhead Marv. And you're going, who? And I go, no, 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 you know who he is. He is the guy who runs the Twitter handle at this day in metal. Over a hundred thousand followers. And on Facebook, he has this day in metal with over 65,000 followers. And if anybody follows me on Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, you know that I tweet out sort of every day this, on this day, this happened and that happened. And of course, Metal Mar- Metalhead Marv is doing this day in metal. And um, I don't say we compete for attention, but uh, we decided to have sort of a arm wrestling of on this day. So in the second part, just before we get to the interviews, uh, or in fact, uh, in between the uh, Journey and uh, Procol Harum interview, you will hear uh, Metalhead Marv and myself giving you the rundown of what's happening in rock history from May 29th all the way up until June 2nd. So stick around and listen to that. And of course, check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon and Metalhead Marv at This Day in Metal. This is Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Mitch Lafon. Here is your rock news brought to you by. That's right, me. Uh, normally I have Bill Leverty of Firehouse do it this week because of. Uh, an illness to my mother. I was unable to write this stuff out and get it sent over to Bill, so I do apologize for that. But that said, 
the news is still good. It's great news. First up, a new wave of British heavy metal band Tigers of Pantang have released a new box set entitled The MCA Years. The set includes the band's first four classic albums, including the seminal Spellbound in Crazy Nights. Both albums feature John Sykes on guitar. I should say the mighty John Sykes. He, of course, of Whitesnake and Thin Lizzy fame. Uh, The MCA box set also adds a previously unreleased album of the band's live performances, including 1980's BBC Friday Rock Show, 1981's BBC In Concert, and 1982's UK Reading Festival appearance. Former Whitesnake members Mickey Moody and Neil Murray have released... Second Skin. It is their second album under the Snake Charmer moniker and comes on the heels of the 2013 self-titled debut. The group also includes Ozzy Osbourne Black Sabbath touring keyboardist Adam Wakeman, Thunder drummer Harry James. Did I mention before how much I love Thunder? What a glorious band. I don't understand why North America has not awoken to the greatness that is Thunder. Anyway, uh, the band also includes former Wishbone Ash guitarist Lori Wisefield, who just happens to share a birthday with me. And finally in the news, legendary singer Graham Bonnet, formerly of Rainbow and best known for his cover of the Russ Ballard hit, Since You've Been Gone will release a live album along with his Graham Bonnet band on July 7th via Frontiers Records called Live, Here Comes the Night. It captures the band's performance at the Frontiers Rock Festival 3 in Milan, Italy that took place on April 24th, 2016. It will be available on CD, DVD, and Blu-ray. And there you go. So there you go. Now, without further ado... And uh, if you listen to the news, uh, you probably think Mitch was having a communication breakdown. So what what better place to start than with Don Jameson, comedian extraordinaire, and that metal show host. Current, former, who knows. Great show, great show. Had a great impact on the uh, metal and rock scene. Uh, Metal Blade Records, uh, of course, reached out, gave him a, a contract, and now we have communication breakdown. So without further ado, here is the one, the only, funny man, Don Jameson. We are speaking with comedian Don Jameson. New album is called Communication Breakdown, out on Metal Blades Records now, in fact. Um, Don, a great, great pleasure to, to speak to you. Now, as a Canadian, uh, I haven't had a chance to follow your career as closely as I've wanted to, with that metal show not having been shown up there, but... Uh, Let's talk about that, and let's also talk about the CD. Um, your third CD. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's great to, uh, great to do a comedy album on uh, Metal Blade Records. You know, for me, that's a dream come true. They were, you know, that's, that's a label that, you know, definitely formed, you know, a big part of my musical tastes over the years. So to actually have been offered a, a contract to, to actually do comedy albums for them was super exciting and you know also at the same time you know uh, knowing you know they've had bands like slayer and and cannibal corpse and six feet under on that on the label i wasn't worried about them asking me to tone down my comedy act is it a a good fit to be on a metal label for you or is there even such a thing as a comedy label i mean i guess comedy central might might do stuff right yeah, that's a, that's about it. But um, yeah, for me, it, it crosses over with both my audiences. Um, I, again, I, obviously, I know that 
up in Canada, a lot of people uh, didn't get that metal show. Um, the people, a lot of people found a way to, to, to bootleg it or whatever. Um, I remember the early days when we first started airing in America, I used to, um, I used to make actually uh, DVD dubs to, to send up to Danko Jones up there. Cause he, he loved the show. Yeah. Danko's great. Yeah. So, um, th those are the early days. So it was, it was almost like, you know, you know, the tape trading when we were younger, you know, I had to bootleg copies of that metal show and send them up there. But, um, you know, a lot of people in America and, and North America, South America, they know me from that metal show. So, you know, it is a good crossover thing for me to be a comic on a metal label. Yeah, it really is. Now, um, this is a challenge for me in the sense that I've never, uh, interviewed a comedian before, uh, unless you consider that one time I interviewed Anvil, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. Unintentional comedy, Mitch. Yeah, I know. Um, but but uh, sort of talk to me about putting together the material. You know, it's not necessarily easy. You know, a writer, when you're a song, you know, you, you break up with a girlfriend, you do this. Is it sort of the same process for you that you, you, you just take life experiences and turn them into comedy bits? Exactly. That that's all it is. Every day is a day full of material. And it, but you know, it just depends. Everybody finds inspiration in different ways. Um, you know, I'm a nightclub comic. You know, I like to be edgy and loose and you know, my my humor is definitely adult humor. But uh, you know, again, I, I love the rock crowd and music's such a huge part of my life. So, you know, the middle section of my new album is a lot of stuff about all the, the bands and the music that we love. Because how could I not talk about something that's such a big part of my life? Yeah, well, in fact, I was listening to that before. Um, what was the bit all about uh, Alice Cooper? A Alice Mini Cooper, which... <laughs> right, Alice Cooper tribute band with all little people. Alice <laughs> uh, you know, I love Alice Cooper. He's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I, like, I, like to do, I like to do, you know, I like to do jokes that are edgy, but then I like to follow them up with something silly like the, that Alice but, Cooper joke. Because I think it just keeps everybody on their toes and trying to guess, like, where's he going to go next? In, in terms of writing the adult humor and being sort of more, I guess the term for it is blue, is that something that impedes your ability to get on a major network like an NBC or an ABC, or is that something that actually helps? Like, hey, who's this guy who's, who's this edgy comedian out there? Oh, you know what? There's so many of us out there, Mitch. It, it, you know, it's really just about finding a niche, you know? And, and my niche, even from the beginning, was never... Um, you know, I never went for the network thing. I never went for that six minutes on David Letterman or, or the Jay Leno shows. I was definitely more into, you know, being out in the clubs and doing the longer sets. And, you know, for me, like doing six minutes was terrifying. You know, I'm just getting warmed up in six minutes. So I never went that route. Same with like Saturday Night Live. It's like, you know, people go, oh, you're a comic. You should be on SNL. And it's like, well, I, but I don't do characters. I don't um, do impressions. You know, so it's, it, that's not really my thing. You know, it, for me, it's it, it, again, it's this it's this crossover with rock and comedy that, you know, that's been my life since I'm 11. You know, my first two albums ever were Kiss Destroyer and George Carlin, Occupation Fool. Uh, both both classic. Anything George <laughs> Carlin is classic. Now, you know, I'm in Montreal. We have the Just for Last uh, festival up here. Huge festival. All the comedians come to it. Is that something that you have played recently, and is that something that you aspire to play again at some point? I, no, I, I've been up there a few times. Um, I actually, um, 
actually hung out with Sam Kinison up there years ago, which was uh, a crazy story because, wow. uh, you know, you hang with Sam and, and when he walked down the streets, everywhere that guy went, he was like the Pied Piper. People just, you know, followed behind him for, you know, for blocks and blocks and blocks until, you know, you just, just the whole street was lined with people following Sam. But, you know, he also had the dark side, too. You know, after his show, you know, it was time to, to for him to go to dark places. And that was usually the time to, you know, move on with the rest of your night. But, uh, no, again, you know, that's something that would be a great honor to do. I know the people who run the festival. In fact, the last time I played in Montreal – um, I played at, is it the Olympia theater up there? Yeah. There's the Olympia. Yep. Yeah. I played, I played there with Andrew Dice Clay and, uh, the head of just for laughs came down and, and, uh, luckily had a really great setup there. So, um, yeah, th you know, we'll see what happens, but you know, look, I'm also realistic, dude, I'm 50 years old, you know, and they want, you know, they want fetuses with an hour of material, you know, they, they want it young. So, uh, I ain't, I ain't a young comedian anymore, but, uh, right. I probably still have more energy than most of them. And, and I'll just finish with one question of, of just for laughs, because as a, a resident here, you know, it just takes over the entire city for the month of July and, and it's become this thing. And we see on comedy network and on this channel, on that channel, there's, there's specials and stuff. Is it that important in the comedy world? You know, as a comedian, is that is that one of those festivals that it, it must be played or is it sort of like, eh, it's just a Montreal thing and whatever? Oh, God, no, dude. Uh, you know, the, the first thing I'll say is this, man. You know, it, it, the Canadian audiences for me, and I've, I've had some pretty extensive touring up there, are incredible audiences, you know, even especially even for Americans. I mean, um Political. Now, I'm not a political comic, but you got there's sort of that you, everyone in Canada is up on what's going on politically in America, but you're not as hung up about it as we are. And, and especially, you know, these days where everything is, you know, every day is a hot button issue about something. But, uh, yeah, of course, that's that's a really Im important festival. But it's not just that, you know, if you have that and then a couple other things, you know, together, that's what makes it all work. Um, like I said, I've been up there a few times. Um, I've gotten to see some amazing, amazing shows, you know, like I mentioned before, Kinnison. Um, I spent a lot of money in Chez Paris. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, who, has? who hasn't? Yeah. And I was just asking because, you know, as, as a perspective from, from here, since it's always here and it's always sort of my July, it's sort of like, oh, okay, but it doesn't matter to some guy in San Diego. I never could figure that out. Um, Dave Mustaine, Megadeth. Speaking of bands that are going to play Montreal soon, uh, he lent you riffs or gave you some riffs for the opening of the uh, Communication Breakdown album. Uh, tell me that story. And, and I can't just imagine Dave handing any old schmo some riffs. So what's the connection there? And, and, and obviously it runs deep because, again, I just don't see him saying, here, Mr. Nobody, have all these riffs. So where does this come from? How, how have you met him? Where did, how did the relationship develop? And, you know. Well, I think I think I'm now I know the name, the title of my next album. It's going to be called Any Old Schmo. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's because, uh, again, the, the years of doing, you know, that metal show, 14 seasons, you know, eight and a half years. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky enough uh, to make friends with lots of artists, as you know, I know you have, Mitch. So, you know, between 
between, you know, Dave and then uh, on my other two albums that I have on Metal Blade, I had uh, Vinnie Moore from UFO play a solo on my last album and um, Bumblefoot right. played on my first record. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you know, again, that's just a, it's another crossover thing that I like to include, uh, you know, on my albums. Uh, I ran into Dave at the Revolver Music Awards in New York. Uh, I was one of the presenters. And, you know, it's like you make, you know, you, you catch up with people and you kind of make small talk and then you, you kind of get the, hey, man, it, you know, I know you got an album coming out. If you need anything, let me know. Thinking, yeah, all right, he's he's never going to get in touch with me. But I'm always the, I'm always the guy that, that that follows up and gets in touch. And so um, I feel I maybe felt like since since he offered and I took him up on it, uh, he would do it for me. So I'm honored to have him on the album although he's playing with everybody he's on ice t's album he's on uh, joey jordison's new album so i don't feel so special anymore dave yeah but still come on it, it it's dave mustaine i mean uh, other than dave maybe getting james headfield to be on the next one is, is sort of the only way to i don't want to say top it because you don't top dave mustaine but that's, that's sort of the only place to go from here on out uh, all right that metal show uh what was it 14 years was it 14 episodes 14 seasons yeah, 14 seasons, about eight and a half years. And explain to me why in Canada I had to, and I watched some of the episodes, but I mean, the machinations I had to go through, it was this internet and that internet and this YouTube, and now it's no longer on YouTube. And now, why couldn't we just get it up here on a regular broadcaster? Yeah, that's the thing. Um Working for a small network, because a lot of people go, oh, you're on, uh, you're on, oh, the show's on VH1. And I'm like, no, we're on actually on VH1 Classic, which is, you know, a totally different channel. You know, VH1 proper, I know, airs in Canada, but VH1 Classic, a little bit farther up the dial. I think our station number was Pi. Um, so, <laughs> right. you know, there, there's definitely advantages to working for a smaller network because uh, certainly VH1 Classic played you know hard rock and metal videos they you know had programming that revolved around this kind of music and you know vh1 proper we didn't fit you know the, the vh1 proper when we went on was all basketball wives and and celebrities in rehab um which you know i'm not you know i'll probably find myself on that show eventually but um i, I you know vh1 classic was the right fit but again on a small network the disadvantage is they don't really have the staffing or the money to go out and make deals with, say, like a Rogers Cable or, you know, or, or make a deal with, uh, you know, uh, Much Music or, or, or Music Plus. Bell or Bell Media. Those are Rogers and Bell are, are sort of two. So, the, yeah. so, so, it, so it wasn't a question of just maybe, you know, selling it. They, they, so they couldn't make it get a deal done. Um, which yeah, is a shame. That's basically it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a total shame because Canada, God, what a great country for for hard rock and metal, man. It's it was, believe me, it was it's it, it was a sore point and still is. Uh, but uh, you know, again, the people who really wanted to see it some somehow got it through, as you said, different machinations. It, it was it, it was torturous to try to find episodes but you know as a fan we go through that to find the guy we want to see right um when the show was canceled there was this well we want to keep metal that metal show alive and we're going to try to find a new home and so on and so forth how is that search for a new home going and and is it is it possible to keep it with the same three hosts and have it resurrected 
Yeah, it definitely is. The producer owns the name. Um, so he has an agent and they are out shopping. But d- unfortunately, Mitch, in America, it's a tough sell, man. Rock on TV is is a very uh, tough sell. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the TV executives are 30 year old hipsters. They, you know, they don't want to see, you know, three dopes from New Jersey, you know, with Iron Maiden shirts talking to 50 and 60 year old uh, artists that they don't know anything about or really have no respect for. So it's really like trying to pitch a new show to people. And, you know, it's just uh, again, it's a tough sell. But. Uh, you know, I think there's other places in the world. Uh, obviously, it's a global thing, and you just got to find somebody who gets it. You know, plain and simple. There are still a couple networks that would have been great. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, Mark Cuban's network, Access right. TV, would would have been a natural fit, but yep. for, for whatever reason, he turned it down. Uh, Netflix said no. So you know, we're looking around. Uh, you know, we, we might have to you know jump on the Mitch Lafon um, platform. Podcast. Yeah, the podcast. But but that that was the next question. Does it have to be sort of a, a visual thing? Can it not just move to Sirius XM or to Podcast One? Or can it not just be in that kind of format? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, we don't really, you know, we used to make a joke, you know, we used to joke around on the show all the time about the show being in, in, in never being in high def. But it was like, you know, we're three middle-aged, you know, mushy guys from New Jersey. You don't really need to see I mean, us. Yeah, we were counting it as a blessing that it wasn't in high def, I think. Yeah, it was like, you know, porn in high def. You don't, you know, you really don't need that kind of scrutiny on <laughs> no, yeah. a lot of that stuff. So uh, I, have, I have no problem doing it in a different form, but still, but still giving the people what they're kind of used to from it, you know, because, you know, the metal audiences just in general are so loyal but, you know, the, the minute you kind of break out of sort of that what they're into, uh, it, it, it's tough. You, you can turn people off pretty quickly. Well, that's true. Metal fans are loyal. So, so let's talk about the importance of that metal show. Because, you know, when you would go to Brave Words and, and Bloody Knuckles and, and Blabbermouth and, and Classic Rock, the show was quoted all the time. You know, this guy on, on the metal show, that guy on that metal show. What do you think was the impact on the scene of that metal show and sort of the overall importance while you were on for those, you know, nine years, 14 seasons? Uh, well, it bought me a house. <laughs> Which is not bad. Not that bad. was important. But right. A house, I, I, a house I can no longer afford. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, as far as the scene, man, I, I, dude, I, honestly – when we started doing it, we didn't know if anyone was watching, anybody cared, if it, if we were making an impact. And, and you know, to, with a little time in the rearview mirror to really have heard from all the artists and the fans about how important it was to them. To to hear guys like Ted Nugent and Dave Mustaine and, and even James Hetfield say, God, you're, you, you, I hope you guys know how important your show is to our industry uh, th- that's mind blowing you know we 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 just did it and came up with the concept because for the love of it you know and then to find out that people cared and you know people still reach out from all over the world when's it coming back when's it coming back so I, it, dude it blows me away every day and and I'm like the fans it's i you know I can't imagine that we we can't find a new place to to do this and you know what if we don't we had a great run and I hope somebody else I hope there's a, a sort of a next 
version of it at some point. You know, a lot of people compared us to Headbangers Ball on MTV from years ago. Like, hey, you guys are the kind of the second coming of that. Uh, so if, if if that metal show was done, I hope there's a third coming uh, in another manner that keeps the scene alive because I care about this scene, man. This is the only music I like. Ditto. I mean, I you know, that's my thing. Um, season nine. First episode of that season, Axl Rose. The Axl Rose special with DJ Aspaugh from Miami, Florida. He had been sort of invisible, for, especially from the media scene for, for many years. What was that like, that episode, being on that, that metal show and just having him there? Uh, well, it was a little weird because, you know, I've been friends with Dizzy Reed, right. uh, who plays keyboards and, and guns. Right. Um, for many, many years, for almost 20 years. Yep, good guy. So, so, uh, yeah, great guy, uh, you know, super funny dude, mm-hmm. obviously super talented, been in guns since, you know, the illusion days. But uh, and so I've hung with Axel a few times with, with him, you know, and just a kind of a real, you know, sort of got to know him as a real kind of normal guy, you know, who lives in different hours than, than most people. He's pretty much a nocturnal guy. But if you could hang in his hours, you know, he was pretty much a normal dude. And so then going down and there was all this kind of mystique about it. Is, are we going to get the interview? Is it going to happen? How come he hasn't talked to anybody in 20 years? And then the whole miscommunication, you know, I mean, if people watch the interview and for people who have seen it, you know, we, we, this, we did the interview at about 5.30 a.m. after kind of setting up at 5.30 in the afternoon. So it's three really exhausted guys and a very fresh Axel because, you know, 5.30 in the morning is sort of like his lunchtime. So right. uh, it was it was, it was was kind of weird and kind of fun. But, uh, you know, I always hoped we'd do a part two of it um, to, just to sort of to follow up because I, I would have – I'm sure the other guys would agree. We would have liked to have been a lot fresher, although – you know, I say, look, I, I've I've chased strippers out until five thirty in the morning. So, to do actually the first Axl Rose interview in in a lot of years, uh, I didn't mind. Yeah, and it, that that sort of seems to be the uh, the way the the GNR camp works. You know, around that same time, I interviewed Ron uh, Thal Bumblefoot, of course, and I drove from Montreal to Hartford. We got there nice and early. It was like a nine hour drive or whatever it is. Show didn't start till eleven thirty. Bumblefoot says, "Let's we'll do it on the bus after." I mean, the interview was at four in the morning. I had been up, I think, twenty seven hours at that point, and it's just like wow. they're like, "Hey, man, yeah, this is perfect. It's four in the morning. There's nothing else going on. It's quiet." <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's quiet because the world is dead at this point. Like, what are you doing? But yeah, that's that's that GNR thing. Um, another interesting thing that I found uh, with communication breakdown. Metal Blades Records has on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, put the entire album up there, available to, to, to stream, to, to, to watch, whatever. Um, that's interesting. Is that, is that a good marketing move? Is that a strange marketing move? How do you, you see the fact that they've put it up on YouTube and made it completely available? It's, it's the new way, Mitch. And uh, I'm, again, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy. Um, I'm old school, man. I mean, I'm, I've been back collecting vinyl again for the last seven or eight years. So I'm going backwards technologically, but, but there's a reason Metal Blade's been around for 35 years is because they've changed with the times, you know? So, 
if it, a lot they're releasing a lot of their music the same way you know out on spotify you know a lot of artists hate that but it's you know by 2020 they're saying streamings you know probably 80 percent of music's going to be streaming so you know they're, they're sort of getting on this new way of putting records out there early and that's how they've stayed alive all these years so you know i trust the label and of course you know brian slagle who's one of my metal heroes who who owns metal blade uh if he says this is the way to do it then this is the way to do it i know when i use spotify if i hear something i like i go out and buy it so uh, you know hopefully that's the idea behind it yeah, and, and, and in fact, that's I guess maybe that's an old school thing, because that's what I do. I use Spotify to sort of figure out what I'm going to buy next. I don't use Spotify to stream albums. And uh, Alice Cooper, I think, put it best. And uh, it was in an interview a few years ago. He said, I don't like to own air. Um, <laughs> right? Which is what, what streaming is. And of course, you know, Apple Music is, is now talking about not having iTunes anymore and just being Apple Music, where it becomes only streaming and you can't even by the download and that's like oh really that's anyway um there's something about ownership mitch and you know again at the risk of both of us sounding like old fuddy-duddies it is true if 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 you'd grown up in in any time in the physical age you know even cds or whatever whatever the case or cassettes having ownership of something it really means something it means something to go out and look for you know, this this album or this band that you love and not know maybe, wow, you know, is this is this a good album or is it not? And maybe you only have, you know, 15 bucks in your pocket and you now you got to choose. Uh, should I get Anvil Hard and Heavy or should I get Motorhead Bomber? I don't know which one to get, you know, <laughs> so you have to you got to pick one and, and hope for the best. Yeah. Well, I know which one to get. In the name. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sam, but, you know. <laughs> no, but but, you know, it it. That whole music thing is is interesting because I discovered Kiss and and Love Gun and all that because my brother left it lying around by the record table back back in the day. Uh, now, uh, you know, my brother would leave his locked iPhone by the gun <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to get it. So I mean, it it's not just ownership; it's also sort of passing it along to to the next generation, to your brother and to your sister. Because if it was just locked on my brother's iPhone. I might just be an ABBA fan today. I might not have ever found Kiss. So it's 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 strange what's going through. You know, it's it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it, it's it is. And that another you know another thing when we were talking about the effect of that metal show is we had so much so many times when we've gone out and did, done personal appearances or done live stage shows where the parents would come with their kids and they say, I, you know, I turned my son onto this music through watching your show. So for me, that's another, that's maybe the biggest compliment because it is, it's, it's turning on a new generation to the music through a current form, which again, you know, in this age of streaming and all that stuff that we provided somewhere for people to go and to be able to show their sons or daughters, Hey, you know, this is what metal's all about and be able to see through basically, you know, I I'm sort of being self-deprecating about the three of us being like mushy schlubs, but we're just three regular guys. And that, I th- hope that was the appeal of the show. It's like, we're like any three guys who sit in their basement on a Saturday night and have a few drinks and talk about metal and, and debate and, and make up lists and, you know, have these arguments that most people will go, why would, who would care if, you know, that one guy thinks painkillers, is, 
you know, better than Defenders of the Faith. But to, to people who love that music, it's the most important argument ever, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we have those arguments all the time. It's the 25th anniversary of Kiss Revenge. And I just had, I don't want to call it an argument, but we had one of those debates as to why I like it and why somebody else thought it wasn't worth, uh, you know, the, the vinyl it was printed on. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, right. Yeah, you know. Um, so what is the plan now that the CD is out? You've done some shows on the north, in the Northeast. Is it, are we sort of just sort of touring all through 2017? Are, are we starting to already think about, okay, what's the fourth CD going to be? What's sort of the game plan at this point? Yeah, well, the game plan is what it always is. I've been doing comedy 20 years. You know, I did, did it preceding that metal show, and I'll continue to do it after. Um, you know, in the meantime, again, trying to get the show on the air. But it's funny, Mitch, with with comedy, it's the opposite of a band. You know, a band puts out a new record. Metallica's out now touring on Hardwired. Great album. Everybody wants to hear the songs. They're playing many of the songs from the new album. With a comedian, it's like if you put out an album and people buy it, they don't want to hear the same jokes. You know, the, the magic's kind of over. You know, once right. you know where they hide the rabbit, you know, it's not as exciting when they pull it out of the hat anymore. So, it's uh, you know for a comic it's so nice and i'm so excited and i love the way the record came out and uh, and so proud to be on metal blade but this now it's sort of it's bittersweet it's the uphill climb now to develop a new 45 minutes or an hour of material to you know again hopefully you know put out on a record or just to go out and tour with so uh that's where i am now it was me and jim florentine who's my co-host you know on that metal show mm -hmm. and uh, also a great comic we were both in the same boat. We we were doing a show last night and uh, together. And I said, uh, I go, I go, yeah. I hope you're doing. I hope you're doing a lot of like real solid stuff. I go because I'm going to be trying a lot of new stuff tonight, you know. And he's like, oh, I'm doing the same thing because he just released a special. So he and I were both, you know, he and I were both like kind of struggling last night to get through our stuff because uh, you know it's tough to develop new material just on stage you know there's really nowhere else to practice it but uh, we ended up having a real good time and he listened to my set and gave me some good lines and i listened to his set and gave him some good lines so we helped each other out and we're both working towards whatever the next thing is yeah that, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because you know like you mentioned bands a new album is a starting point for a two-year tour cycle for comics it's the end of the cycle. It's sort of like, okay, I've done this for two years. Here's the, here's the album, sort of the greatest hits of whatever. And now you've got to start over. And you don't get sound check, basically. You have to go in front of an audience and either kill it or suck tremendously. <laughs> right? I mean, but that's what, that's what happens. And that, it, that's got to be tough. I mean, I, it's really got to be tough to get up there and go, I have no idea if, if I'm going to get a laugh tonight or an egg in the face. Yeah, well, luckily, Mitch, after 20 years and uh, Jim even longer than me, you have places you can hide the new stuff. You know, you, you can do it between two things, you know, that kill. So you, you put the new, you know, you do you put a new bit in between two things so that if it, it kind of if it's kind of lackluster or, you know, kind of tanks, you can follow it up with something and, and get the audience back. But, well, yeah, when you're starting out, man, that all you have, what you have is what you have and, and, and you got to go with it. So but again, it's still it's still tough. You, you can't talk into a, a hairbrush and look in the mirror and go, yeah, that's going to be funny on stage. You, you just never know till you get there. I, I do. I can feel it when it's coming out of my mouth as I'm saying it. I can feel this is really going to suck. 
this is going to tank so bad, but this is, you know, there's nothing you could do. It's coming. So, you, you know, you just got to take your lumps when you, when you get them. But uh, when you get the stuff finally honed, the, you know, that's where the satisfaction is. It really is. And, um, you know, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. I I'll, I'll guess I'll finish with the, the very sort of traditional sort of silly question, but um, favorite comedians growing up, you, you mentioned Sam Kinison, obviously, uh, you must have had great respect for him. Um, who were some of the other ones that you looked up to and said, "Man, that guy's fucking good." I mean, this guy's good. Yeah, the guy, the guy that the guy that made me get on stage was Andrew Dice Clay. Um, so th yeah, that that's my guy. That's my number one guy. And uh, you know, I got to tour you know Canada a few times with Dice, and uh, we really had such a blast. You know, we started in in Calgary and worked our way all the way across the country. And I think, I think we actually ended in, uh, I think we might've been Montreal or, or we did Massey Hall in Toronto, but, uh, we, and we played everywhere in between. We played Saskatchewan in a, in a hockey stadium. We played Regina, we played Thunder Bay, but you know, we also played Winnipeg and we played Edmonton and, and all the big cities as well. So, uh, Dice is my guy and, and to have, performed with him for the last 10 years is just like that that's that's mind-blowing too you know like this yeah. there's a guy I look up to so much as a, as a an entertainer and I be, he's become one of my closest friends so oh, uh that's great all good stuff man and I gotta say man it's a real pleasure talking to you man I know okay. how respected you are in the business and um people artists mention you all the time as well they go oh yeah i just did a thing with mitch lafon and uh you you've interviewed all the best as well so uh this was cool that you and i finally connected yeah absolutely and and dice by the way is somebody i tried to interview last year and we just couldn't figure out the schedules and it fell through so down the road hopefully he'll, he'll be on my on my list of guys to talk to but this great fun and of course if you're ever in montreal for anything whatever like like uh, dave mustaine just Whatever you need, just call me up. <laughs> right? Uh, what you wish for, Mitch? Yeah. Well, hey, Dave. Dave and the boys are here in in June, so you might as well come up and hang out with all of us. It'll it'll be fun. Um, DonJameson.com, communication breakdown, the new CD, and um, I guess the next one is called uh, something schmoes, right? Some regular schmo. <laughs> regular schmo. It's a regular schmo. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, thank you. Great, great pleasure. Tell Mike Smith A I said hi. Uh, absolutely. Will do. <laughs> That's funny. Bye -bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. Today on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted, we are joined by actor, producer, director, author. What else can you do, Brian Cranston? I sweep floors. You do? And I load a dishwasher really, really well. Do you unload it? Not too many. Okay. <laughs> we could give you a job in our the house. The talent is loading it, not unloading. No, the talent is buying the dishes that fit together and not the dishes that I buy that don't fit in the dishwasher. Well, I could teach you how they can fit. Okay, All Brian, right. thank you. That's Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Be sure to listen on Podcast One or through the Podcast One app and Apple Podcasts. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and a big thank you to comedian Don Jameson. New album, Communication Breakdown, is available now. You can also stream it on YouTube and all kinds of other wonderful places. Uh, I'm just going to keep moving along here. I have got three interviews, so let's get to number two. It is with not once, but two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, keyboardist singer Greg Raleigh, of course, formerly of 
Journey and Santana. We talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions, making new music and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, after Greg, stick around. I've got Metalhead Marv uh, going one-on-one with me on our This Day in Metal versus On This Day in Rock kind of little quiz back and forth. We uh, cover the weeks of May or the week of May 29th to June 2nd. And then, if that wasn't enough, Gary Brooker of Procol Harem joins me for a quick chat about the band's new album and a little bit of their history, a whiter shade of pale and more. So, let's just get started. Without further ado, here is two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, singer, keyboardist, Greg Raleigh. We are speaking with two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, keyboardist, and singer Greg Raleigh. Greg, a great, great pleasure to talk to you. Been a fan of your work for, God, <laughs> my entire life, well, I would think. Yeah, right. It's, it's been a while. That's right. <laughs> right, forty, forty some years. I'm, I'm only forty. Um, I'm only forty-eight here, so it's been, it's been long time. But um, let, let's talk about this second induction here with, with Journey. You're obviously inducted before with Santana. Um, what was it like to be recognized for the work, that body of work, and then also, you know, standing on stage with those guys once again? Well, it was, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. It's, uh, it, it was exactly what I thought it would be. And, you know, it was good to, good to see everybody. And uh, we played like three songs and I played on one. And um, uh as far as getting this induction a second time, it's kind of mind blowing to me. I, I kept telling people, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting there with the Beatles and Michael Jackson and Eric Clapton. And I mean, the company is just amazing. And um, so I'm still kind of stunned by it. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, really. It, it really is. And, and, um, I had a chance to see the performance of you with uh, Ainsley Dunbar doing lights. Um, yeah. When you step back in, into that and, and you're actually, you know, it's the music. We're not talking about the business and the managers and the lawyers. It's the, yeah. just, just, just sort of bring me back to what that was like, just to sort of hear, you know, Neil hit that first chord and then just the, the, the song going. And um, what's it like just to be in that moment? Well, I mean, it's exactly that. I mean, it, it kind of takes you back and uh, puts a smile on your face. I mean, <laughs> that's about all it does for me. It's like uh, they're like going back to play Santana stuff. It's the same thing. I get that same feeling when we did Santana Four. I was like, uh, it, it was an amazing feeling to go back and play play with those guys. And the the thing is, it's just like it's like a, riding a bicycle. I mean, you just don't forget. And you go back and do this stuff, and 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 it feels like it did. It was it was great to do. Yeah, and it was a great moment for everybody. Now you mentioned Santana Four, of course, that came out uh, last year, and it was you know forty five years in the making for for you know for the lack of a better description. Or um, <laughs> yeah, what was that like going back and and recapturing? Because you know you had done Abraxas Pool, that sort of was an offshoot of Santana, but what was it mm-hmm. like to actually get that core? lineup back and and making music well it was amazing because it 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 really just fell it fell out of everybody i mean it was it's like it never went away and we were just we we were more in tune and uh with better ideas and 
and uh, you know from the maturity of it all and everybody got along great and things were were uh, smooth I mean it just went really well and and enjoyable it it looks like you know it, we took a year to do that but it's really not true because everybody was traveling I was playing with Ringo Neil's in Journey Carlos is out with Santana and so dodging all that stuff uh, it was actually a quicker uh, recording than it looks. You know, we, it, we just, I don't know how, maybe a, f- a few weeks. It's kind of like that, uh, but all broken up in a year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about chemistry with band members, because, you know, Journey has changed members and Santana has changed members, and, and, and they're doing great. We can't complain. But what is it, you know, just you and Carlos and Michael and... Um, and Neil, of course, and 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 uh, what is it about that chemistry that just has that special something? I don't know. I you know sometimes I think it's just because we grew up on the music. I mean, um, it, it was like my firstborn, Santana, and and uh, we just made this music, and so uh, playing with them is like to ride like a, like I said, riding a bicycle. It's the same thing. You just thought you. I, I almost know what he's going to do. He know, almost knows what I'm going to do, and it just rolls out. And uh, and that's that's pretty much how it worked. Is there a possibility of more Santana? Because I, I think right now you're doing a solo record that might have Neil Guest on it. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Well, I, I do. I, okay. I have him, and I have, uh, I have Steve Lukather, too. I've been playing with it. Oh, wow, he's great. He did me a, did me a solo. Yeah, he's a great guitar it's a great guy yep. anyway I, i've been surrounding myself with some of the best people of late i you know I, i've tried retiring several times but people keep calling me <laughs> yeah well we, we can't have you retiring that that's the but so what is the solo album is is it something that that's going to take us back to your journey days to the santana days or is it a completely different project where you're doing you know jazz or something like what is the solo oh no it's not no it's not jazz it, okay it, it is it, you know like the best way i can put this is i did two kinds of music i did santana and then i flip-flopped and, and did journey which was just completely opposite um and so it's kind of a combination of that in a way um because of I, you know, I don't go off on the deep end. There's, there's one jazzy like tune on it. Um, but, uh, it's just kind of eclectic and a, a cut of all the stuff I've done in, in a way. That's best way I can put it. And, and that'll be out when at the, by the end of this year? I hope so. I'm going to go record, uh, finish, uh, the recording of it, um, on May 6th, uh, for about, a few days and then mix it in June and, uh, and then we'll see what happens. Half of it's done. So I, I put it on hold because of Santana four and, and doing Ringo. I just had to put everything on hold. Yeah, no, and I, so now I've got, I got a little time during the summer and I'm, I'm going to take it. Oh, I look forward to that. Now I do want to ask you about Ringo, but, but I do first want to just get to Neil Sean because you know, you've done the Braxis pool with him. You've done Santana with him. You've done journey. Uh, he's now on the solo record. Um, just talk to me about him as a musician and, and sort of your friendship over the last, I guess, 45, 50 years, maybe even at this point, right? I mean, I, yeah, you know what? What's kind of funny about that is that going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I, I, uh, I had a chance to look back on the history of what I've done. 
and, and thought about it. And usually don't. It's just one foot in front of the other one. You just keep moving. It's kind of like a mountain climber. They climb mountains because they're there. So uh, musicians do the same thing. But I look back, and I think Neil's on like 80% of my music. I've, I mean, he's always been there. Now, whether we go off and do other things, it's like, you know, I end up calling him because he's the right guy to play stuff. He can play everything and anything. You know, he and Lukather are those same same guys. They were kind of uh, in, back in the day. They were they were kind of competing for that that space of of being that kind of guitarist. And uh, anyway, so Neil's like uh, he just plays the right stuff. He's got a great melodic sense, and uh, as well as Carlos, just melody within. Um, within burning at the same time. I mean, you can do all of it, but his melodic sense is the part I really dig. Yeah. And, and I, and I think sometimes he's forgotten in the discussion of great guitarists. You'll say, what's the greatest guitarist of the eighties or something. And people say, well, it's, it's Eddie Van Halen or, you know, and it's like, you know what? Neil's right in there. I mean, he's, he's, Oh, sure. Yeah. He's just got that sense. Um, uh, now Ringo Starr, uh, you yeah. know, listen, there's playing with, with this guy and that guy, but when you attach the name was a Beatle, um, that sort of changes everything, right? Yeah, it does. Took me a year and a half to, I was pinching myself, I was sitting on the stage and I look over and there he is. Can't believe I'm doing this. Um, because the Beatles, uh, without the Beatles, I was probably going to be an architect. I got, I got bit by the bug of, of, like many people of starting a band and being in bands, bands popped up everywhere because of Beatles. And, uh, they probably started more music in the world than just about anybody. It's, uh, amazing what happened. Anyway. So for me to be sitting on the same stage with a guy, it's like, uh, I'm just totally blown away. Uh, and this will be my fifth year with him. That, that's just, uh, it's just remarkable. And I was interviewing uh, Ian Pace of Deep Purple the other day, and, and he had worked on a Paul McCartney album. And there just is that reverence that you just can't escape. When when it's Ringo or Paul or, you know, or, or John and George. Yeah. There's just yeah. like, yeah, that, that's that's a whole other level. Um, One album that I want to mention, and, and a band uh, that you were a part of, The Storm, back in the, uh, I guess the 90s it was. Yeah. Um, had a great heat coming out of the door. The single, uh, I've got a lot to learn about love runs up the charts, does great. Um, just talk to me, you know, it, it was sort of a, a journey offshoot. You had, of course, um, Steve and yeah. Ross, um, talk to me about that project and why it wasn't able to move forward because it, it did come out with a lot of anticipation and a lot of sort of media curiosity. And, and then it just sort of, that was it. Right. Yeah. Well, it, the late the Interscope changed. They, you know, they started doing Nine Inch Nails and various other things. A total flip flop. So when we got into Interscope, we were like the flagship for them, and and uh, and then it changed. They changed the whole thing around, and that was it. And so, you know, with bad timing is all I could say. You know, if we'd done that three years earlier, we might be talking about a different thing. And uh, it's just the way the music business is. Uh, you know, I've, I, I've had to tell all those guys that, man, it just is the way it is. It has nothing to do with whether it's good or not. It is good. And, uh, but, you know, radio has changed. The, the whole game 
flip-flopped and uh and we were kind of left out and that's it that's what happened well, yeah which is a shame because uh, and there, there was a second album i think that was recorded and sort of held in in escrow for a while right yeah we um it, they gave it to us okay uh, they you know the uh the second one um uh interscope gave to us and uh, upon leaving which was they didn't have to you know and so that that was cool and we put that out uh on small label and uh you know and, and again the, the only people that would were around for that were the people that bought the first one and um because it, it all changed you can't get the uh you know the publicity for it and all of that it's just it's the way it goes sometimes. I can't complain. <laughs> no, no. As a, as a two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, you certainly can't complain. And I know we have 15 minutes, and we're, we're, we're quickly approaching that. But um, yeah. 1979, uh, you release, or Journey releases, Evolution. And it has Loving, Touching, Squeezing, which is the first song I sort of heard from Journey. And that, that's the one that said, okay, I've got to check this band out and buy it. Uh, and that's exactly what happened, yeah. by the way. Um, yeah. It, you know, it was that, that was my year. Kiss Dynasty and, and Journey Evolution. That, that was my 1979. Um, just looking back on that album, what, what kind of stories or memories can you just sort of share about that album? Because it, it obviously was significant for the band. Well, it, it, mainly the, the sound changed. I mean, uh, Roy Thomas Baker got in there, and we did these massive... Uh, massive guitars on the infinity album and it was it established a, a real sound for the band but a lot of the guys didn't like it and i thought it was cool myself i and and it, and it did it kind of put us on the map as being totally different and uh and then it, then it evolved you know like all things do in music we did kind of the same thing on the the uh, evolution album that you're talking about we did sort of the same stuff, and then uh, departure was different from that, and uh, then captured live was live. So that it's just the way it went. Now, I, I, Infinity has more of a mark for me than the Evolution album because of uh, because of the change of the sound, and that's when Perry was the, first, uh, the singer um, right. that we brought in. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Roy, Roy Thomas having worked with Queen is 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 no slouch to get into the studio. Um, and I guess we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll finish on that since you brought up Steve. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about will he sing, won't he sing? He didn't for some reason, which is fine. But at least he showed up, which made the fans happy. Um, what was it like for you just to see him after all these years? Because he sort of has been off the radar, being a very private citizen and. It was just sort of nice, right? Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen him in I don't know how many thirty five years or something. I mean, literally, I haven't seen him, and uh, so it was cool to see him in in that that picture. His speech, his speech was great and heartfelt, and uh, you know he probably he probably healed a lot of wounds uh, with the band, um, you know that that was after I left, you know. They had their own issues back then. Don't even know what they are. I couldn't speak about it, but I know they had it. And so I think it was uh, it, it was well received by the band. Yeah, and I think it was also well received by the fans and by the media. So it, it's you know it, it was one of those inductions that sort of put a cherry on top, rather than one of those inductions that left you scratching your head, going, "Oh, really, guys?" You know, 
So it, it was, yeah, yeah. you know, it was good to see. And I do see that we, we've hit our limits. So I, I do want to thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. All right. Bye-bye Talk to now. you later. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, folks, my interview with two times Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Greg Raleigh. Such a great moment to see him and Steve Perry and Neil Sean, Ross, Jonathan, Arnell Panetta all out at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, giving speeches, hugging, and, of course, the band playing. Yes, Steve Perry did not sing, but you know what? It was just nice to have his presence, and it was great to see him there. Now, another thing that I like to do is get onto my Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, and tweet out rock history. So on this day, Journey released an album. On this day, Kiss released an album. There's another guy out there called Metalhead Marv, and he has his Twitter handle called At This Day in Metal. And he tweets, tweets out heavy metal facts. You know, Sepultura did this, and uh, Guns N' Roses did that, and Metallica did that. And so uh, we thought it would be kind of fun to uh, get together and have sort of a uh, arm wrestling, sort of a verbal arm wrestling about on this day and this day in metal. So uh, here's a quick two-minute segment with Metalhead Marv and myself giving you the rock history for May 29th up until June 2nd. And on the other side of that, Pro Call Harem's Gary Brooker. So stick around. But here is Metalhead Marv and myself doing your rock history. We are speaking with Metalhead Marv. You might know him better from Twitter as at this day in metal. A good day, Marv. Pleasure to have you. Nice to meet you, and then good day to you, Mitch. Yeah, so both of us on Twitter send out these little factoids. You, of course, have 100,000 followers, which is absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I send out these little things about this guy did this on this day and that. So uh, this episode, of course, is airing May 29th. So we are going to do a quick hit and run of On This Day uh, for the entire week up until June 2nd. So, Marv, why don't you start it off? What do you have for us on this day, May 29th, or as you would say, this day in metal? Well, on this day in metal, um, May 29th, 2000, Iron Maiden released the album, New World. Yeah, that was a, that was a great album, a great return uh, to form for the band. They really knocked it out of the park on that one. So, okay, I'll give you this. On May 29th, or on this day, May 29th, 2002... The heavyweight Champs of Rock and Roll Tour featuring Van Halen vocalist David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar kicks off in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. And I have to say, I saw one of the shows that summer. It was absolutely glorious. And uh, there are rumors, of course, that Van Halen uh, might do something for the 40th anniversary tour next year. And Sammy has been saying that he wants to get back together and be part of it and, and have Dave there. So let's hope that happens um this day in metal may 30th on may 30th 2010 los angeles city council first declared the day ronnie james deal day wow ronnie james deal day that that is so very cool ronnie of course being one of the greatest front men ever okay so let me give you this one on this day, May 30th, 1994, Metallica kick off the Shit Hits the Sheds tour at Darien Lake Performing Arts Center near Buffalo. It is in support of the recently released Live Shit Binge and Purge box set, which I got to tell you on there, there's a, a show from Mexico uh, that was recorded part of that box set. Absolutely fantastic. Metallica at the top of their game. Um, you know, there you go. 
All right. This day in metal, May 31st. I have on May 31st, 1986, the documentary Heavy Metal Parking Lot was filmed in Landover, Maryland, during a Judas Priest show. There you go. In the, in the little, uh, what do you call it, uh, tailgate party at Priest. That, that must have been yeah. such a great show. Must have been such have a been, great show. That would have been awesome to, to, uh, to attend to that one. <sighs> Absolutely. All right. So my May 31st, real simple. I, I'm going to keep it, you know, Straightforward, May 31st, 1948, Led Zeppelin drummer John Bonham is born. That is it, folks. Enough said. Doesn't, you don't need anything else to, after that. John Bonham is born. Okay. Point final. That's all you need to know. June 1st, this day in metal. What do you got, Marv? I have on June 1st, 1977, the famous band Kiss uh, had the, uh, their single Christine 16. Yes, of course, from the Love Gun album, a great album, one of their best, actually. All right, so let me hit you back with this one. On this day, June 1st, 1991, Queensryche. Yes, good old Queensryche. Peak at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 chart with Silent Lucidity. It is their first and only top ten single in the United States, which is actually surprising, figuring that they've been around so long, you would think that they'd have... A whole bunch, but no. Well, that's an interesting fact there. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would think they would have had at least two or three, but anyway. And uh, Marv, thank you for your participation. We'll finish with this one on this day, June second, nineteen seventy-eight. Thin Lizzy release the live and dangerous album featuring songs recorded in London in nineteen seventy-six, Philadelphia, and Toronto, nineteen seventy-seven, and of course. Guitarist Scott Gorham was recently a guest on my show uh, in an episode uh, packaged together with Bruce Kulick of KISS talking about the 25th anniversary of, of Revenge. So I invite you to take a listen back to some of the previous episodes and, of course, uh, follow Marv at This Day in Metal and me at Mitch Lafon on Twitter. Marv, we definitely have to do this again. Love following your This Day in Metal post. They are absolutely um, fantastic, and um, it's great. Just it's it's great stuff. Such a, such a great concept, such a great idea, and a hundred thousand followers certainly proves that you are doing something very very right. Well, thank you too, Mitch. I'm glad you had me on the show today, and let's stay in touch. Absolutely, and of course, again at this day in metal on Twitter and at Mitch Lafon for me. And there you have it, folks. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Rock Talk. And a big thank you to Metalhead Marv, and of course, before that, Greg Raleigh of Journey Santana fame. Let us finish today's episode with a final hit-and-run interview with uh, Pro Call Harem's Gary Brooker. They have a new album out called Novum. Uh, It is a very, very good album. You should certainly check out Novum. Um, So let's, hey... Why waste time? Without further ado, here is the one, the only, from Procol Harum, Gary Brooker. Absolute pleasure to be speaking with you today. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, fine, Mitch, that's great. Um, so let's talk Hard about the... Yeah, okay, okay, great. Um, let's talk about the new album, Novum. It's the first one, of course, in uh, 14 years. Um, talk to me about the importance of having new music available for fans. Well, I think it's it's it's, it's really the crux core of of carrying on. Really, is is to produce new things. Um, 
sometimes time goes by too quickly or you get involved in other things and suddenly you turn around and it's more than a decade and you think, well, where's that gone? But um, the band's been very subtle for, you know, at least 10 years now. I've been playing live all the time and suddenly realised that we hadn't been in the studio and uh, the time was right. We all felt like we wanted to do it. Um, we also realised that this year we'd have been going 50 years, so we thought, well, we we better come up with something. So, um, I mean, it's a, it's a, it'll be a very important part of, of, of how we are on stage as well. Yeah, it will be. Now, it is the first one to uh, not have Keith Reed uh, submit lyrics to it. Uh, talk to me about Keith and what he meant to you in terms of musically for the last few years and also getting Pete Brown in there. Well, I mean, we haven't, if you like, haven't written with Keith. The last songs we wrote together were in 2003, so that's quite a long time. True. And um, I'm not sure if Keith, how, uh, how, uh, how keen Keith was in the idea of Procol Harm. I mean, we've, we've been playing live, which, of course, he never did, so his interest was not, uh, not as sustained as mine would have been, for instance, always playing always doing concerts. I mean, we've played uh, the songs that Keith and I wrote, you know, throughout our careers, and I'm still very happy doing that. But, you know, I think if he, he came to a crossroads somewhere and he turned left and we carried straight on. And right. then we, I did a couple of years ago, met uh, Pete Brown, who I had known, you know, since his days with Cream. Uh, so whenever I saw him, we had a nice chat. And also as friends with Jack Bruce, who he was... Uh, involved with as well and I, I last saw him at Jack Bruce's uh, uh, funeral when the dear lad was buried and uh, had a chat with him there he said look if ever you want to do something with Procol and you'd like me to be involved I'd really really enjoy it and look forward to it so there he was Yes, so there he was. Um, when he starts writing for the band, though, do you give him a set of guidelines and say, this is what a, a Pro Call Harem song is like and, and stick to this mold? Or does he sort of have a freedom to explore uh, lyrically what he wants to do? No, I think he had freedom. I mean, he, he, he knew Pro Call Harem songs anyway. Uh, he was, of course, aware of the lyrics, because I think a lot of lyric writers are interested in what other, other lyric writers do. Um, but, uh, you know, he's no means trying to imitate somebody else or anything. He had, a he had his own ideas. We did give him a small brief, uh, which is a secret actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but we did, you know, give him an idea of something to work on that will make up an album of songs. Uh, and, that, and that's what he came up with in the end and it was great. Yeah, yeah it really was. Um, Looking back to the debut album in 1967, the current cover of Novum, the the artwork sort of evokes the earlier artwork of 67. Is that suggestive of we're bookending the career, or is that sort of just, you know, we're just reflecting sort of the classic imagery? I think the latter of the two, really. Right. I don't think the album depends in any way, you know, the music and, and songs that are in there, doesn't depend on nostalgia in any way whatsoever. It's more a look forward and a new thing. Um, 
I think the artwork is really, a, if anything, is a nod towards nostalgia. Um, and, you know, it's very clever artwork, you know, and although it may use the image uh, or a similar image, let's say, uh, to what was on our first album, it's also nicely intertwined with guitar and bass and, and keyboards as well. Uh, and it just, it, it seemed like a good idea. That was the thing. But it is, um, you know, as from the title of the album, which is Novum, that means, I hope, um, I think it means a new idea in, in, in the old Latin language. Yeah, the good old Latin. So we, we are, we are it's, it's by no means a bookend, by no means a here's our final go. In fact, in writing the songs and recording this, it's inspired us to think, well, hang on, let's get back in and do that again. <laughs> well, okay, so then, well, let's go with that idea, because it had been, uh, what, since 2003, the last one. Do you see yourself hopefully moving forward with new albums, like in the old days, like every two years, every three years? Uh, where do you see yourself going from here in terms of uh, the band? Well, I mean, in the old in the old days, which would have been forty, fifty years ago, um, we did actually we managed to tour all the time and and at the same time make an album every year. So that was uh, it's actually very hard to see how you could possibly do that because time seems to go much too fast these days. But it. Um, it would it would be it would be great to follow to follow this on. I mean, I think you're always dependent on 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 what happens with an album, and it's a stranger world these days than it was forty fifty years ago. You see, you know, no, there's no there doesn't seem to be many record shops around where you can go in and buy a CD or a vinyl, and you like the look of it, and you know you like Procore or you've heard of them or whatever. And there's the product, and you grab it off the shelf and give you money. That doesn't seem to exist quite so much these days. So it's a, it's a different a different market out there. But we're we're trying to approach that as as as, as best we can. But you know, in the end, it's about people hearing it, and and wanting to have it in there, whatever they have it in, yeah, in their are. home. Right. <laughs> yeah. Looking back at at the last fifty years. What do you think was the key to the band's success and the longevity? Because, you know, there's a million bands that come and go, and they have one year, two years, sometimes even just a month, and then they disappear. Um, how has this band managed to keep it going for so long? Well, it's sometimes difficult, isn't it? because you don't do these things on purpose. Even when we first first made our first records, um, you didn't think, well, I'll be doing this in 10 years' time. Or certainly not twenty. You just didn't look that far forward. Um, I think. I mean, let me get. I I sing all of the songs, and if we're just talking about things up to now, not including new ones, I sing them, and they 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 just don't seem to date. Um, I think they've usually. I hope they've usually got interesting melodic songs. They're interesting musically, and the playing is interesting, uh, and lyrically. They don't seem, they never get tied to a fashion. Uh, hopefully the themes are usually uh, sort of more generalized. And you can all often get your own your own meaning from what's being sung about. And that, that, that is something which seems to hold well over, over the years. And I think has helped towards 
vocal harm still being meaning something uh, is is what's in the songs. It really is. And, and speaking of the songs, uh, one of the greatest ones, of course, is A Whiter Shade of Pale. Um, talk to me about that song. And we're not going to talk about the lawsuit and all that, because that doesn't interest me. But um, what is it about that song that connected with the audience and has been taken back over and over and reprised by all kinds of other bands? Um, what was it just about that song that was so great? To tell you the truth, I don't think anybody knows. Right. And I mean that really, generally, you know. I don't think anybody knows. If it was to be understood, then other people would have done it. Whatever it took, I think it was... Uh, it's always been uh, quite mysterious to me. There's been a certain amount of mystery to it. I mean, the sound was kind of haunting. The words were very different. The vocal was what it was. Um, but if I hear it today on the radio somewhere... It always sounds to me different to everything else. I think it sounded different in 1967 as well, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem to have dated. It might throw people's memories back to other things. It might remind them of what their grandma used to play, or something like that if they're that young. But uh, I think it's always been a mystery. It's very. I can't put my finger on it, and I've never heard of anybody or listened to anybody that could. I mean, you might be able to think it might have applied to a certain period in in in, in culture of some sort, you know. Um, well, it never seemed to me anything about flower power. You know, it was uh, it just happened to come out in 1967 when there was a lot of new and uh, different ideas going on in in, in all of the arts. Uh, and that was one of them, but it still, still, still seems to stand up today as sounding different. But it is a mystery. Yeah, it really is. Uh, 1977, the band breaks up, and you reform later on in 1991. Uh, talk to me about that time. First of all, you know what led to the band saying, "Okay, we need to take a break," and then conversely. What led to the band or, or you and, and Trower and, and stuff to say, OK, let's give this another kick at the can? Um, well, I think in 1977, we, we actually just we stopped playing. We thought actually artistically, creatively, that we seem to have gone full circle with our 10th album. Um, at the same time, there was another kind of... People had lost interest in interesting music, in in some ways, uh, punks or discos seem to rule. I mean, we were still doing very well. We were still selling out concerts and and having a good time. So it wasn't a matter of there wasn't a demand there. It was just a, an inner feeling that we've come to sort of. Well, I think the best way to put it is what I said. We 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 seem to have gone full circle. So we didn't kind of have a break. As such, we didn't say, look, let's just give it a rest for a year or two and then we'll see what's going on. We just sort of said bye then and we all went our separate ways. Um, but it did in some ways open up a new world for me because I was suddenly suddenly free to do a lot of other things which I'd always wanted to do and uh, just hadn't had the chance. We you are know, being within Arm, that almost, you know, on a daily basis. So it was a good, 
but you know, in the end, the world changed again. Um, I think it was towards the end of the eighties, somewhere. Uh, I was speaking. Uh, some American DJs used to come over to London now and again, and speak to. Uh, they gather some pop legends, uh, and there'd be you know about eight eight radio station DJs, and they would do broadcasts from somewhere like Abbey Road Studios, or Bill Wyman's Sticky Fingers Caff, or some some you know it's all set up somewhere, and all the boys would come out, and. I was really impressed by the fact that the American DJs seemed to be very, as if Procolarm was very much alive and was meaningful. Um, you don't always get that in Britain. We kind of like people for a few months and then they're gone. But in America, after, you know, I mean, we were talking about over 10 years, uh, probably 12 years or more, uh, and yet these DJs was, were were talking, well, very, very, very well, nicely about Procol Harm and how much we meant. So that was a great, that was, a, was sort of an inspiration. I, I kind of felt, you know what? Yeah, it was good. It is good. Um, at the same time, I think the internet was starting up, and a friend sent me something from a chat room where this girl was talking to a boy, Mantle World, whatever it was, and they were just just met on on you know in this chat room, and he said, uh, "What what about your music?" She said, "Oh, well, I really like Procol Harum." And he said, "You so do I." He said, "I thought I was the only man in the world." And she said, "No, no, I'm a great fan." And uh, suddenly, a lot more people joined in this chat room, and they were all joining in and saying. You like Procol Harum? So do I. I you know, uh, suddenly, uh, well, the person sent me a transcript, and there was within a couple of hours, there was about at least 100 people who had joined this chat room talking about Procol Harum. And the two things combined, I think, the American DJ experience and this this uh, people from all corners of the world talking to each other on the Internet, um, it just made me think that maybe we owed people something and we should we should do it again. So that that was the start of the of the well the some sort of rebirth of right. some sort. Um I know we're running out of time, so I'm just gonna would it be okay to ask you a, a question about your your mother and father? <clears throat> well, I've got no objection to that. Okay. So um when you were uh, young your your father passed away at an early age and your mom took over, and, and you know, um, what lessons did you learn from her in terms of perseverance and work ethic? Well, obviously, uh, well, good mothers anyway look after their children, whatever the circumstances, mm -hmm. through life's up, ups and downs. Uh, my mother certainly did that, um, and I was always very grateful to her. Because my, my my father died very unexpectedly. He was only 41, I think. So that was a bolt out of the blue. Uh, I was about 11 at the time. My sister was younger. Uh, but our mother really took care of us always. Um, so, well, I just always had, had respect for... Right. I think everybody should have respect for A, parents and B, elders. No, I agree. 
Um, did you take any of those lessons into your career, though, in terms of how to um, stay the course and how to manage the band? Um, I, I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at taking lessons. I think whatever you get from seeing somebody and realizing that they've they've given a, a lot to bring you up and to give you a home and feed you and everything else. Um, I think you just get the idea that you don't let people down. That was always a, a bit of an ethic that I that I'd learnt when I was that sort of age, and that nothing lasts forever either. Yeah, um, Gary Except for Brokaw Harem. Yeah, well, fifty years, uh, and of course the new album Novum. <laughs> so um, I know we we've run out of our fifteen minutes. So so thank you for today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye now. All the best, Ben. Bye. Yes, bye-bye. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Hey guys, this is Chael Sonnen. Make sure you check out my podcast, You're Welcome. We talk about MMA, we talk about professional wrestling, politics, anything you need to know about today's top issues so that you can sound intelligent and you get them all from me, your humble host, America's favorite gangster. Make sure you check me out. You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. New episodes every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, and of course, PodcastOne.com. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders, and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue, repair, and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.